0: think jam but not as we know it <laughs> this is big 5 four. Ooh. Ooh. Nine, three It is one minute past 5pm on Friday the 10th of June 2022 And you are listening to The Bashcast Coming up In this afternoon's BashCast, I go camping and whilst offline, I don't even know that I've hit a golf winner for days. What happens when we meet a bunch of Six Aside lads discussing their terrible recreational mugs in the PGA and that happens to be what our job is? 20 DDHH bets to review. Both Bologna and Verona score in each half with outrageous value on the shop coupons and why Nat West want to kill babies. Right, lots going on at the same time as this. So, three simultaneous golf tournaments happening just now. And um, my skybox isn't working. So I can't actually have it on the TV on mute as I normally do when I'm recording the Bashcast. I've got to be refreshing clickety-click pages in the background, which is going to be irritating for everybody. And then I've got in 12 minutes time. It's going to be the Live series. It's called Live because L.I.V. is 54 and there was meant to be 54 players, but there's 48. Or is there 54? Who knows? I don't know if I like it or not, to tell you the truth. I don't like the leaderboard and the fact that I can't find the leaderboard and the leaderboard that they have on the on the YouTube because I don't know who anyone is. Anyway, the golf's been interesting. I'm not going to do a big golf episode because I feel like I've done a lot of them recently. So I'm going to have a look a little bit more at what's in my notes here. The horse racing, some of the um, R&D and development. Just really talk about edges because I think sometimes I forget. I forget to talk about the edges, the maths behind the edges. And that's really kind of what the Bashcast is about. It's it's about clearing my head about where we're seeking, how we're doing it, why we're doing it, and how it's going. But I can't totally ignore the golf because it was kind of extraordinary. We went camping for half term in Croyd. I don't so much mind the camping these days. I didn't, I've never been a huge fan of it, but I kind of understand it when it comes to neutralising you and your pals' families when you've all got lots of children. I mean, look, the number one thing to do is going to be to go abroad and get a hotel, uh, sorry, not a hotel, a big villa, and you all share the villa. Now, uh, some people are all in the same position, and they can do that, but not everyone is. And if you're not in the same position, camping is a great way of just, being able to have all the children run around together in the same place—you wouldn't want to go to a hotel. Some people do. Imagine going to a hotel and spending it with in in the room with your kids. There's nothing worse. So we went down to Croyd um, during the Jubilee week, which I always like. That was two free bank holidays, but I don't get any free bank holidays because I I don't have I don't have a job. So we're. I feel like I should get something. I think the self-employed people and the professional gamblers of this country should be given something to celebrate the Queen. Anyway, we get down there. We pitch up. Um, we were trying to get a place with an electricity pitch because I have the, I have to do some work every Wednesday at one o'clock for the golf, regardless of whether I'm camping or not. And um, reception, were like, hey, are you the guy that was the eighth Best podcast as voted for in the recent betting awards. I was like, yeah, I don't like to talk about it. Don't, I'm not a special guy. I'm just like anyone else. I'm just like anyone else. I'm not a special man. And they're like, no, you were eighth, weren't you? You can have the electricity pit. No, they didn't say that at all. Uh, all the electricity pits pits were reserved. And so I had a bit of a headache on my hands. I had to end up um, going down to, if you know Croyd, the thatch pub to order a coffee and plug... 18 devices secretly into the wall so that i could um bounce different laptops ipads and screens off each other to do the golf the sunday had been mad right i was down there and there were two golf tournaments um on the sunday and the european tour i think was a single place i forget who it was i don't really care and the but the pga i'd written off i'd written off the pga because um my guys were like 25th, 32nd, 38th, and 43rd going into the fourth round. So they had no chance. I mean, some sort of miracle of maybe a place if someone shot something extraordinary, but that's that. And so I just turned my phone off. And I actually had my phone off for a couple of days, so it wasn't until the Tuesday when I turned it on. I was like, oh, I wonder um, how the Charles Schwab went, did a sneaker place. And then what I like to do, this is a bit cheesy, Right. I like to get the PGA app or any leaderboard app and I have my players favorited. It's unbelievable that the DP World Tour can't fix their goddamn app so that you can favorite your players. It seems to be a basic requirement of the app. Also, the website doesn't remember who I am if I just click away for one second and then I go back and it wants me to log in again. But then you try and log in via Facebook and it says it doesn't accept it. It's a mess. The DP World need to sort that out. It's not good. It's, just, it's not a good look. Uh, but the, anyway, the apps, the PGA app, which is second to the Masters app, which is the best golf app there has ever been, and everyone should take a leaf out of their book. What I do is I scroll to the bottom, and I normally have eight players per tournament. At least I have eight players per tournament in my exchange win singles, which is my personal betting up. My teams will have other stuff, but that gets complicated because sometimes my teams don't post their bets until days afterwards, so I never know who I'm on, really. So I'll take my eight singles bet, and I will slowly scroll up, and I'll get one, two, three, four, five, six, and then seven. So maybe I'm in thirty-second position, you know, as I was with the Charles Schwab. I'm like, oh well, there's my seventh place. I've only got one more person. I think it's Sam Burns. And then what I do is I take my time and I, I just scroll and I go thirty-one. No, it's not him. Thirty. No, it's not him. And I went twenty-nine, twenty-eight, twenty-seven, twenty-six, twenty-five, twenty-four, all the way to eight, seven. Well, I'm in the places now. Six, five, four, and Linus didn't believe it. So I went all the way back to the bottom of the leaderboard. Has he shot like 92? No, he's in the top three. So he wasn't third. That was Brendan Todd. I was like, oh my God. So I scrolled up, but hid the names so that I could just see what the scores were. And I see that they were nine under and nine under. And I'm like, well, I've won because I win every playoff. I was 11 for 12. Playoff wins before the Charles Schwab, and I go in and uh, I, Sam Burns was against Scotty Scheffler, and I'm now 12 for 13 because we don't lose playoff wins, and that was delightful. So I was quite—I I found out in the tent that I had a few extra thousand pounds that had been sitting on that I was completely unaware of uh, throughout the Monday when I had my phone off. What had happened, I think, in that tournament? So I hear from other people. I would have loved to have seen it. Is that Sam Burns cards are 65. And then some, I think, Gale Wins came, and everyone else started, um, like, seriously bogeying the back nine. Where was Harold Varner III was the big story here, right? So Harold Varner III, I think, was one shot ahead of Burns when Burns um, carded his um, nine under. And then Harold Varner III on the 12th goes triple bogey, then double bogey, then triple bogey, then a birdie, of course, then a par then a double bogey, and then a bogey to finish eight over par for the last seven holes. So, um, yeah, Sam Burns wins it. Um, got it for you if you're on Harold the III. Um, I wasn't, but if you, I was, I, w- I would have preferred to have been camping and not following that action. But how did he win? Um, on the Wednesday, I then went to the Thatch pub with my laptops and my iPads and I ran my models and I get the golf options up from. So we have these um, golf trackers at Bucky Bashing for both the DP world tour and the PGA. And now we have it for the live series. And um, I will select eight golfers from both tournaments up to eight I could select six or seven. Very infrequently, I select nine, but I try and do around about eight. I'm trying to maximize EV, but I'm also trying to cover 10 to 15% of the field. So I can't just choose eight 500 to one shots. I mean, if you choose eight to 800 to one shots, you've only covered uh, 1% of the field. So there has to be a few shorter guys in there at the expense of the EV of the higher guys. Um, and so I fired the model up and I took the data out and I did it early because I was, I was in using a a Mac laptop that I'm not used to and iPads and phones and pen and paper. And I just had, didn't have my office on me. And the first four golfers that came out of the Porsche European tour, were Alfredo Garcia at 200 to 1, bet 365. Cali Samuja at 200 to 1, bet 365. And then a couple of 80 to 1 guys um, in Callum Shinquin and Guido Migliozzi. Now, when I'm looking at that, I mean, the first thing I always look for is can I find anyone at 20 to 1, 30 to 1 at reasonable EV. Uh, and then I really am looking at up to 50 to 1, then up to 100 to 1. So Shingwin and Migliozzi were kind of no-brainers. They were going to go in. Um, they also have to be um, plus EV at two or more books, because if they are only plus EV at one book, they could be accused of being an outlier. And I think we discussed that that wouldn't be particularly fair for benchmarking bets. We don't just want to take our outlier. So there needs to be two different books in different families. It can't be like Coral and Ladbrooks. books. It has to be like another book as well as Coral and Ladbrooks. books. And we can't put up exchange bets because we used to put up exchange bets at the beginning. But the problem with putting exchange bets up is everyone follows us in and you put somebody up at you know, 10 to 1 or 500 to 1 or whatever it is, and that liquidity can disappear. And then most people don't get that price and everyone gets annoyed. So what's the point? So we don't do exchange bets, and our bookmaker bets have to be available at two or more books. So Alfredo garcia Herelda, 138% EV at Bet365, 200 to 1. Second was Cali Samuja, who was 129% at 200 to 1, same as garcia Heredla. Then it was Shinkwin and Migliozzi. Uh so I chose Shinquan and Migliopsi, and then I got a couple of short guys in our and Hao Tong Li at 34 to 170 to 1, but I couldn't really go for another 200 to 1 guy because I wasn't covering enough of the field. So I skipped over Kali Samuja. And towards the end of putting the options up, I noticed that Kali Samuja actually rose from second place to first place uh, in the EV tracker, but I downloaded my data by now uh, and I just dismissed that. And Kali Samuja went and won it. Um Betting is cool on Twitter. Um, got Kali Samuja from the bookie bashing tracker and tweeted out his four-figure win bet. I think it was at 888 sport, possibly. Good on him. Well done. Betting is cool. That's a really good account. Really smart guy. And I recommend following that. Someone asked why we didn't just put loads of players in. Well, that's why. And the options. Uh, because you know we this is meant to be like a reasonable portfolio of players and nobody is going to sit down and just back every single uh, plus ev player on the golf tracker so we try and make it realistic and reasonable and that's why we um temper it to eight if you're using the tracker you've got much more freedom than we do and you can pepper around the 200 to 1 300 to 1 500 to 1 guys in fact um i was looking at the performance of the real long outsiders um and the guys that um are high ev that we've put on our golf options and they are blowing the ROI out of the water. They're like a 200% ROI. So these 500 to 1 guys might feel like they're never winning and they're never placing. And to be fair, they only do place once every 100 times. But we've been betting on 2,000 of them and man, they place enough times. But And if they ever go on to win, as we nearly had a couple of weeks ago, then um, the ROI goes silly. Uh, we had the doubles as well. So my team were on the doubles of the, the Europe, Porsche European Open. And we were on Besseling and Richard Mansell on the European Open. And um, over in the Memorial Tour, um, we were on Wise and Neiman. So that's second and third from the Memorial Tour. And second and third from the European Open. How close is that to a win-double? Because we're getting four places there. Four-place Doubles as well. So that ret- that returned quite a reasonable amount of money. Uh, that was a £3. So we take six players from both tournaments. So th- £3 each way bet is £6. Six players in both tournaments is 6 times 6, is 36 permutations. A £6 bet on 36 permutations is £216. Now generally, one place double should, unless the real shorties on both sides cover the £260 sixteen pounds, and anything else then is profit. But really what you're looking for is the two winners because then it's, um, you know, it's going to be four figures. And it, it it may be five figures and, it, well, it could be six figures And unless there's a max £50,000 payout from the bookmaker. You need to t- um, compare the T's and C's there. But how close is that? So it's second and third in one tournament and second and third in the other tournament. Um, getting closer... Although we did have a, we had a double earlier in the year, and I think I worked out statistically we should only be having one every 12 months. So it's, it, variants suggest that we shouldn't have had another one quite yet. The Mindless Wanderers are the greatest five-a-side football team the world has never heard of. Um, we were formed in, um, in the early 2000s. Me and a bunch of my um, post-university boys would go out on a Friday night uh possibly stay out through to Sunday morning and then Sunday evening was um uh five six aside football time. Uh and then everybody went and got married and had kids and the team hasn't played very much, but kids are getting a little bit older now, so we have uh, resurrected the mindless wanderers football. I remember being down at the pitches the other week and we're just say, say, say hello to the opposition um, and just milling around waiting for the referee to come over and everything like that and the opposition have got their phones out and they're looking at the PGA leaderboard and they're all discussing the different bets that they're on for the golfers and the value that they think they are somebody says he's got rows and he thinks he's really good at 40 to 1 um, and I'm just standing there and I'm in their conversation because we were talking about the game beforehand but I, I haven't joining their conversation about the golf. Uh, and I'm just standing there listening to them. And isn't that a weird position to be in? Isn't that weird? Because it's my job to pick out the winners of golf tournaments. And, you know, we were voted the second best sports tipsters by the uh, SBC betting awards. But I can't stand there and say any of that to these people. I don't know them. They're the opposite. Wouldn't that be the weirdest thing in the entire world if you were just standing there talking to your mate about, oh, um, betting on Rose and then there's a guy standing across from you and he goes, oh, do you know I uh, I professionally bet golf as a job and uh, tell loads of people to do it as well? You just look at him and go, right, okay, Walter Mitty. So I'm standing there and I'm just staring at them and I'm like, this is so mad. It's like if I was a doctor and they were talking about you know, something that was wrong with their finger, you'd be like, oh, well, I'm a doctor, and they would be oh, okay, I'll listen to that. But you can't, you, you just can't. You just can't stand there in front of these strangers and say, oh, yeah, well, I, uh, I professionally bet on golf, and, uh, yeah, it's my job to pick out the winners of these golf tournaments. So what you should be really doing is looking at the strokes gained off the... Oh, talking about that, by the way, I didn't want to go on too much about golf, but the golf metrics graph We're on the hunt for an API that's going to send us um, um, metrics such as driving distance, driving accuracy, strokes gained off the tee, recent birdies, recent eagles, bogey avoidance, putts per round, strokes gained approaching, scrambling, these kind of things. Because when we put this metrics graph together every week, which is a really integral part of our betting on golf, first of all, we select the metrics that we put into the graph based on analytics from trending from data labs or fantasy labs. Sometimes that trending doesn't look right. And I think I wish I'd gone with driving accuracy instead of driving distance over in um, America just now. In, sorry, in Can- the Canadian Open just now. Because it threw out Dylan Fratelli. Because we went for driving distance, because the trending from Data Labs suggests that, Fantasy Labs suggests that. But I talked to everybody that knows about their golf, and they're like, nah, this is not a course for driving distance. This is short and narrow. You want driving accuracy. Yeah. I checked the data, and the data was right. Well, Fratelli, who hits it a mile but isn't very accurate, goes four over yesterday. So I'm like, God, I wish I had. So what we're trying to do is if we can find an API, we might build a tool where you can make your own metrics graph. You define the metrics that you want to see, and we'll build the graph for you. Um, but it's all about finding the correct API. Did you know that when I do those metrics graphs, each graph takes me about an hour, and I would say 50 minutes of that hour is collecting and organizing the data and sorting out different spelling names, and some places do data in percentages, some of them do them in decimals and all that kind of kerfuffle, and like some include the word yards that you have to manually remove. It's, that's what takes ages when you're doing the... Um, when you're doing the metrics graphs. And this week we had the PGA tour. Okay, that's okay. You just have kind of have to merge the PGA with the Corn Fairy guys. But then the DP World Tour, we have the DP World Tour guys and the European ladies in the mixed Scandinavian event. And then in the Live Tour, I've got people from literally everywhere. And um you, you, it, it took forever. Poor me. Biggest violin ever for me, right? So the Mindless Wanderers, one of our recent... Um, signings one of the better signings that we did Um, I have been doing CrossFit down at the now closed Metabox in Droitwich it closed during the lockdown which was unfortunate because it was a great place to be it was a great place to go and meet people a great place to go and get fit and I love the CrossFit as well and um, during lockdown I built a gym in my garage and now I'm kind of it's not the same um and you you don't work out as hard as well in your own garage so i need to go and sort out another crossfit gym one of the guys in the crossfit gym um who is a pretty strong dude and a really nice guy it's called boris and boris moved to droitwich in 2014 from donetsk in ukraine um uh, and he moved over because he could sense trouble um arising all the way back then well as you can imagine the last few months have been relatively tough on Boris so I was catching up with him after a game recently and he was telling me some relatively harrowing stories that people from back in his home country have been telling him you know the the women and the children and the elderly have been able to leave but the country have told 18 to 30 year olds that you have to stay and fight uh so these are his brothers his fathers his friends you know what I mean they don't have a choice and he got out in 2014 and well done for him for doing that but a lot of people didn't and you know he was in tears telling me some of the pretty incredible scenes that his friends had recounted to him about what they'd been seeing in the streets and what had been happening to them over there. I can't even imagine. I mean, it's just unthinkable, um, thinking that that could happen in your home country. He does a lot of fundraising, this guy, um, for friends and for family uh, back in Donetsk for all the things that they're going through. So I've never done a charity plug before. And Bookie Bash has been going from 2015. And I do kind of dislike the people that routinely and regularly plug you for charity. I guess it's one thing when it's children. When it's an eight-year-old girl doing a three-legged race, it's cute. And I don't think anyone's got a problem doing that. When it's a 44-year-old man who happens to be a professional gambler, it's less cute. And I get that. Um, The same applies with uh, Tummy Raspberries. It's very cute when it's done by a, (laughs) anyway, (laughs) Um, on the 24th of July, which is two weeks today, 24th of June, which is two weeks today, um, I'm going to have a charity football match, a seven-a-side charity football match. Um, This is at, for anyone that is local to Worcestershire, there are some 3G pitches um, at South Bromsgrove. Um, this is South Bromsgrove High School, they, and they hire the pitchers out. Well, I've hired the pitchers out. Um, I've covered the cost of the pitches. Um, I have filled about 70% of the slots, and I have some interested names who are relatively well known in the gambling world if that tempts anybody. If you're local to Bromsgrove, and you can get over there at 7pm on the 24th of June, incidentally, I didn't realise I was meant to be in bloody Cornwall that night when I booked it, and now I'm going to have to somehow play the match and then go home and get changed and find my way on my own to Cornwall, but just don't mention that to my wife, because, you know, I, I just did I was on the same day. So, if you're able to get down to um, Bromsgrove, for 7pm to 8pm on the 24th of June um, I'd love to either have you in the Mindless Wanderers team or the opposition I'm filling both sides of the pitch in this charity match um, if you'd like to donate a quid or two to play um, that's great if you'd like to donate a quid or two to um, per goal to play then I'm going to be asking the goalkeepers to be rather lenient and lazy on the pitch um, and if you don't want to come and play but you can spare one or two pounds because maybe you've listened to one of the 193 bashcasts that we've published for free and never put a single advert in any one bash cast. Um, uh, if you can maybe think that any of the 193 episodes that we've done has provided you with some value. Let's say, let's say, on average, each episode has provided you with one pence worth of value, right? Either in laughing at how stupid I am and the things that go wrong in my life, or perhaps I've come up with a particular edge that might have been useful to you making money. Was any of that worth on average, one P per episode. If it was, why don't you go and donate £1.93 to me? One P per episode. And if you fancy 10 P per episode, that could maybe be £19.30 if you're a high roller. But if everyone listening to this donated £1.93, then uh, we would be raising four figures for um, uh, Boris, and he will take that money. All of that money will be given to him, and he will be sending that over to fundraising charities specifically in Donetsk, Donetsk, to um, distribute as they see Fine, I can't, I can't sort of talk any more about that because I, I don't know the specifics, and I don't really care. Anything that he can do to help these pretty poor people would be good. If you can afford that one pound ninety-three or anything more, www.justgiving.com/crowdfunding slash here we go you're listening mindless dash wanderers dash ukraine dash fundraising if you've got a pen and pencil that was justgiving.com slash crowdfunding slash mindless dash wanderers dash ukraine dash fundraising or go to bookie bashing click on latest news that's where you'll find all the blogs and you'll find seven aside invite and shameless just giving Ukraine plug in the, the Just Giving pages on there. There you go. 193 episodes. I have never, not once, asked anybody for any charity. Um, I'm not a charity whore, but this one time, this is something that's personal. It means something to someone I know that um, I really, really want to help out. So last time, all right? justgiving.com slash crowdfunding slash mindless dash wanderers dash ukraine dash fundraising i want to i want to get that up to a thousand pounds um it's sitting on 295 quid just now which is fantastic and i want to take that thousand pounds and i want to give it to boris and he is going to be sending that over to fundraising efforts in donetsk in ukraine Um, so, an update on some of the shop football bets, which have actually been doing pretty well. This update's from the last broadcast, so sort of May and the beginning of June bets. We're coming into that quiet period. It's kind of a nut Oh, by the way, I've got the fan on. Sorry, that's the noise you can hear in the background. Um, there's no real football on um, in June and July other than the UEFA Nations League, and that's kind of a little bit sporadic um, because of the World Cup... Um, is in November this year. I think the England game's at like 2pm on a Monday afternoon. It's bizarre. Um, So the uh, Premier League starts at the beginning of August. A bit of a pain for me because this is my boy's last um, summer before he starts school, so I'm planning on taking a full sabbatical with my kids in the last week of July and all of August. So I'm going to miss that first month of Premiership. So it's quieting down a little bit, although I kind of like I like it when it's not just the Premiership week after week because the, um, it always tends to be that we make more money at the beginning of the season in coupons, in goal scorer bets, and then the markets get feel like they get shaped and a little bit more efficient as um, information and assures, assuredness comes in week after week, and they tend to be harder to beat at the end of the season. But through May... Um, we had um, exactly twenty DDHH bets. One, two, three, four. F- one, two, three, four. Five of them won. Um, one of them are pretty unbelievable odds, to tell you the truth. Um, now the DDHH is coming from the Player XG model, which we've spoken about a lot recently on the bashcast. It's going to start to come out of alpha soon, and alpha is a stage of development of a tool where it's working, but it's really at the beginning of its life. There could be bugs. There could be errors. We've just got it live. We're letting it process for a little bit of time to see what happens. One of the biggest issues that we had was the naming convention um, that different bookmakers have. And I've especially had an issue in the UEFA Nations League. I spent a lot of time this morning matching the different spellings of names in teams like Azerbaijan and Israel. They tend to be the you know the, the, the Asian and the Middle Eastern teams there's so many different spellings for each of these um guys. I even accidentally merged Daniel James with no goalscorer once. So if you ever went to San Marino versus Andorra and saw Daniel James odds in the tracker, that's because our tracker thought that Daniel James's name was also no goalscorer for a few weeks until we actually figured out what was going on with that bug. Um one big thing is that we've now got bet365 we've found a way of getting a feed for bet365 which is notoriously difficult um into our player XG model because we have to go around all of these games and we have to pick up um um anytime goal scorer prices from all of the different bookmakers because before the exchange is liquid we use a range of bet um goal scorer prices we don't take it from odds checker we do that ourselves we do that through Our sister company, OddsHawk, and anyone, incidentally, can come along to OddsHawk and ask us um, if they can have the football feed at uh, at a charge and and they can have an API plugged into their models and live up-to-date data. So this is what's going into the um, football model, but in the back end, of course, we pick up all these players. And a man, a human being, and it has been me generally, has to um, take the um, different spellings and say, oh, no, this guy is the same as this guy and merge these two together. That's what's been going on in the background. I, I did it for the Premiership. And then as time goes on, you do it fewer and fewer. And then as the UEFA Nations League has come back on, it's like, oh, my God, there are so many players that are being spelled differently. Um now we've got the Bet365 feed. I'm pretty happy that it's getting close to coming out of alpha because Bet365 tend to be the outlier price for a lot of these anytime goal scorer bets, the top price. So we don't want to ignore them. We never want to come up with a top price that's lower than Bet365. So not until now we haven't had them, but as of this week we do, and that's great news. It just makes the pricing of the Player XG tool that little bit more efficient and from um, an assumed markup on top of top price, which is somewhere in the region of, um, um, it's a function of the price, right? So there is bias. I mean, there's going to be more markup on the 20 to 1 guys than there is on the 1.5 guys. Um, So we take the top price. We add some markup, which I think the equation was something like 100 plus... I'm not going to try and do it off the top of my head. It's not that I don't want to share it with you. It's I I know it, but I would need to write it down with a pen and paper. It's difficult off the top of my head. So we had the markup, um, and then we have an assumed fair odds, which we can then use Poisson to reverse engineer. Someone said, are you sure? Is the reason why the re- some results have been poor? Um, poor? Because um, the reverse Poisson assumption is wrong. And I said, what results have been poor? He says, well, if you take your worst performing results, are they bad because the reverse Poisson is wrong? And you're like, well, hold on. If you isolate the worst performing results, they're going to be bad no matter what. Do you know what I mean? It's like there always will be worst performing results. (laughs) If you want to test if anything is true or not, find a way of coming up with a reasonable mean, apply Poisson relationship to it and see if you match what the exchange closing line is. Or, and here's a bit of a cheaty-weety way of doing it, um, take what you think the AGS price is, reverse engineer, reverse Poisson on that to get your mean, and then use that Poisson relationship to work out what the probability of two or more, and three or more is, and compare that to the markets for two-plus goals and hat-trick. And what you will see is that it just completely aligns. There's complete alignment. And so what we know is it's not a distributed Poisson, sorry, adjusted Poisson distribution that they're using to project from the mean to one goal, the mean to two goals, the mean to three goals. They're using a straightforward, direct Poisson distribution. We can see that. We can back test it. Um... It surprises me a little bit. I thought it would be adjusted, but then there is a lot of juice included into AGS player bets from the risk of players not starting. The bookmakers really benefit from everybody that bets on um, somebody that starts on the bench, comes on at half time, and then, you know, it doesn't matter if they score or not. The value that the bookmaker extracts from that is significant. I've had 20 DDHH bets. DDHH comes from Player XG divided by match XG equals first goal scorer. And then we've got an equation to work out neutral odds from DDHH because we know first goal scorer. um, And we compare that against Fred's odds. The first one was um, Alonso for Chelsea um, against Manchester United on the 28th of April. Was it the 28th of April? Yeah, it was the 28th of April. Um, Alonso doesn't get that many goals. I'll tell you that um let's have a look at the lineups here where was he on the pitch yeah he's um you got Werner and Havertz up front and then you got Mount so he's he's sort of the left back Alonso he was 22 to 1 uh 23.0 21.8 was the um fair odds that came out of the tracker Nil nil at half time. Alonso got the first goal in the 60th minute. So then missed one on Tavernier at 19 to 18 to one, missed one at on Mina at 14 to one. Harry Kane was an important one, right? Who's that? That's a phone call. Who's my phone call with? Oh yeah, I got a phone call in a few minutes. Um, Harry Kane was uh, Tottenham Hotspur versus Arsenal. Now um, he was five to two. So, you get a lovely range of odds there. We've got 40 to 1, 18 to 1, 22 to 1 came in. But the 5 to 2, Kane scores in the 22nd minute and gets a penalty in the 37th minute. So, he's got uh, 53 minutes of the game to get a goal, to get a penalty against a really poor Gunners side to be paid out at 15 to 2. Unfortunately, um, it finished 3 0, but we still got 5 to 1 on that bet. Um, that was our only DD that we've had recently. I mean, the number of times that we should have had a DD, but we've only just been hitting them first goal scorer. Tammy Abraham, 7-2, to Roma against Leicester City. He scores in the 11th minute. I mean, Jesus, he's the out-and-out striker in that game. How, how has he scored in the 11th minute and not got another one? Another Harry Kane, Super Harry Kane, on the 12th of May um, at 10-3. Um, uh, to Oh, my God, 10, the 10-3 to was the Arsenal match where he got two goals in it and should have got a third. Oh, so 10-3, he got paid at 20-3, to 3, whatever those odds are. Um, so I'm not sure who he was when he was 5-2 a couple of weeks before, but yeah, I've had two Harry Kane first goal scorers, one of them being a DD in the last 20 matches. Oh, and look at that, there he is again. Wow, I didn't realise that. So Harry Kane was the third one. Out of the, I hadn't noticed that, I've had 20 bets, five of them won, three of them were Harry Kane. <laughs> How would you like that? The 9 to 4 and the 5 to 2 were just FGSs, and the 10 to 3 was a double delight, and so that was paid at 20 to 3. That is 20 bets um, for around about 5 grand profit at um, running at plus 90.4% ROI. So um, someone emailed in saying they never... Cne DDHH bets I don't know if I've explained how the process works properly, so maybe it's worth going through again. Because of all of this f- kerfuffle around the estimation of the price before Team News and the risk of the player not starting um, we only w- whilst you can go onto the PlayerXG tool at any time and the D-D-H-Bets will have the EV of every player for D-D-H-H as long as I've linked them up and I do tend to link up every player in these games Um, and they track the prices live but because of this inherent risk you can make your own judgment call from that table as to whether you think this guy is likely to start or not if he is a risk to start that's on you because I don't have the algorithm in place yet I really want to and it's a work in progress behind the scenes as a lot of things are at bookie bashing Um, I really want to be able to have some sort of ux user experience where you can drag and drop players shift them around see how that changes the fgs odds make your own starting 11 um and and maybe even include a um estimated player time playing time for each player so how does it change if he's going to play 60 minutes 70 minutes 80 minutes 10 minutes 20 minutes but it's not there just now so it's on you right one hour before Team News, we push every DDH player to the tracker, and some of them will be plus EV and some of them be negative EV. Those are the ones that we record the ROI of. Now, that doesn't mean that they're starting. Again, I want an API that tells me Team News, and I actually only want to push players that are starting to the tracker. I haven't got around... Well, we haven't found it yet, and even when we found, find it, we've got to implement it, and again, you have difficulties with synonyms and player names and stuff like that, but that's the next job. But we may be pushing plus EV players to the tracker that aren't starting. Again, it's on you. If you see that someone that's 110%, please do check if they're in the starting lineup. And for the love of God, don't bet on someone that's starting on the bench after team news. Do you know what I mean? That's moronic. And I wish I could find a way of automating hiding it. But a lot of these players are pushed to the tracker at 6.45 on a weekday night. Well, guess what? I'm having tea with my kids. So someone's just not around there to be dealing with that. Um but we swallow that in the tracking of ROI, right? So we've tracked 200 bets. Now, if the guy comes on at half time and it's still nil-nil, his first goal scorer odds are gonna be different because the match XG is considerably lower at that point. Um, and he's, probably no, he's definitely no longer gonna be value if he comes on at half time at nil-nil. Well, we're still logging that. So we're swallowing the guys that we're pushing to the trackers plus EV uh, that are starting on the bench and come on at nil-nil. If it comes on at one-nil, it's void, so that's not a problem. Um, but that's where you'll find them. Um, If you're looking in the tracker, you need to be looking within an hour of team news, uh, within an hour of kickoff. And a lot of games, nobody's plus EV. It really requires steamers a lot of the time. It needs money to come in on the AGS market of the exchange before we see anyone that's plus EV. And just because we say it's plus EV or negative EV, maybe you could go and compare that price against the exchange. We might have a first goal scorer price of 6.3. The exchange might have 5.8. Um, uh, you have to make a judgment as wh- who do you believe. It actually comes down to what's more reliable, AGS or FGS. I'd probably look at the trading amounts in both markets and the efficiencies of both. Um, but if someone's six six 6.2 on the exchange for first goal scorer, bet on them for Double Delight Hatch Kevin. I mean, you won't get that. The reason we are... Sort of coming into this algorithm from a roundabout way of the AGS price is because Fred's going to cut him if he's six, six point two in the first goal scorer price because so many people are monitoring DVHH on the first goal scorer and Fred just tracks it right. But we've sneaked around the back by looking at AGS because we can use AGS to get to FGS. Um, they don't always align up. Now, when AGS and FGS don't line up, that means that one of those two prices is value. Which one? You have to look at the markets. You could probably work it out by amount um, traded. By is there bias in the market because of a boost? But a lot, the, a lot of these those things is very very difficult to implement into an algorithm. Certainly, just now with an alpha tool that we have and bookie bashing. So, also somebody asked them. Um, with Because the, they've, they've been betting on a few DDHHs and not winning, and I'm sorry that people haven't been winning, especially if you've been betting at 40 to 1. It can be a long wait until you get one. But they said, um, can you prove that you're beating the closing line with the AGS prices? To which my answer is, absolutely not. Because the AGS prices on bookie bashing are being tracked from the AGS prices on the exchange. So, If there's trading information on the exchange leading up to kickoff, that's exactly the same price that will be on bookie bashing, meaning the bookie bashing closing price is the closing price, meaning we're not beating the closing price. I'm just trying to sort of suggest, well, why are we doing this? Well, we're not doing it for an AGS exploit. We're doing it for 2+, 3+, plus, plus score each half, FGS, and Double Delight trick Heaven exploit. The only thing we're not doing it for is the AGS exploit. In fact, Salah was boosted in the cup final, um, Liverpool versus Chelsea, to 3-1 to one at Bet365. If you looked on the exchange, you could have laid him at 3.5 to 3.55. If you looked at the AJS markets at the range of bookmakers, top price, I think, off the top of my head, was 2.2. You could argue that top price of no markup is a fair price. It certainly seems like that in any touchdown scorer markets. If you want to be safe, which we do, we apply a margin on top of top price, which is related to the size of the odds. We're still coming out with something like 2.32 for fair odds for Sala. Um, we had a little bug that day, again, AlphaTool, on, on the player XG, where we weren't switching to the exchange price. Um, there was something going on where the refresh rate wasn't working. And that meant we were still hanging on the old bet, top top bookmaker price. And that was good because that was the real price. I wanted to know that. I didn't want to be hinged against a market that has bias in it. Unfortunately, that requires a sort of coding and logic change. And we have to make sure that if we're going to implement something like that, we don't ruin something else. So we haven't done it yet. Anyway, seller's up to 3 to 1. Um, the fair price is 23 and 3.5, 3.55 is being traded on the exchange because the arbors are going mad. Um, This is a super boost at Bet365. That's the easiest bet you'll have in the entire world, just going and mugging that on the exchange. Just go and mug that on the exchange. That's one of those that you can't really compare it against the closing line value because the closing line value is biased because of the amount of um, arbors that are holding that up. But you're getting a 200%, near 200%, maybe like 100 off the top of my head, like I don't know. But for, for every £100, you'd be expecting 150 back at the minimum. Um, go and find me an investment opportunity that is that straightforward. That, that's one of those that you should be lumping the house on. And I think the phraseology I said to all my gambling groups and to even my recreational friends is these kind of opportunities do not come around all the time. If you're ever considering investing in Bitcoin, investing in stocks and shares, investing in a buy-to-let property, investing in any of these, the safest thing that you could do or for the most amount of return is bet on Salah to score any time in the cup final against Chelsea. He's that much value. Uh, bear in mind, he won't score 60% of the time. So don't be surprised when he doesn't score. Don't go and put your mortgage on it. But certainly, you should be max betting this. The max bet button should be being clicked in your bankroll. There's no excuse not to max bet Salah, anytime goalscorer, at Betfair, at markets at Matchbook, at 3.5. This is bread and butter 101 value betting. So what happens? He's carried off injured in the 31st minute. <laughs> fuck's sake. I mean, come on. Come on. Didn't even give us a chance. Didn't have a shot. I'm out for dinner. I'm out for dinner. And I turn my phone off for dinner because I'm a good man and I'm present with those around me. And then I'm walking out the restaurant and I'm half conscious that I've max-betted Salah and t- not just that. I've told everyone to max-bet Salah. I turn my phone on and I just get a cacophony of FFS in different messages from different people a lot of them didn't even know each other. Sent to me, and I didn't even need to know. Off injured in the thirty-first minute. Patrick Veitch has a very interesting, a brilliant um, um, interview on the um, betting people sort of podcast that Star Sports do. Um, it's like a five-five videos, ten minutes long. He's extremely interesting guy. This guy made like twenty million pounds betting on horses for the last 20 years uh our friend joseph buckdale used to run for him in cambridge university or when they were in cambridge together um and if you haven't heard it go to youtube and just type in star sports patrick Veitch. go and read his book from 2012 that's brilliant as well um men most people won't maybe relate what it's like to provide value bets for other people um, and of the Venn diagram of people that do provide betting advice, I don't know what you think. What would you say? 95% of them are charlatans trying to rip you off, scam artists. Is 95% enough? So there's only a small section of people that are really giving away value bets. Most, a lot of them can be found over at SBC in the different categories that they have there. Patrick Vacech was one of them. I'm another one of them. And... He, he he no longer does it, but when asked about um, the times that he was telling people about the horses um, that were going to win, what did he think of that experience? And he said he was relieved. I mean, I'm paraphrasing. If you go and watch the video, you'll you'll realise it's been six weeks since I saw it, so I don't ex- remember his exact phraseology. But it was along the lines of um, he he was glad to give it up because he he hated it when people lost, even though he was providing winning selections inevitably, some people are going to bet on the winning selections, but the wrong winning selections. For example, if you come along to the golf and you bet in a particular bracket, you're going to do extremely well. And then if you bet in a different bracket, you're going to do relatively badly. And hopefully you betted on both and the good times took care of the bad. There's going to be some people, especially when I've got a community of a few hundred people, some of them are going to be doing really, really well. A lot of them are going to be doing well. Some of people are just going to be down from the nature of the law of large numbers. And some people that um, bet on ho- golf, even that bet on horses at bookie Bash are going to be down just because they're betting infrequently, their strategy is wrong. Um, I mean, some people generally are just going to be unlucky. If you take the unluckiest person at Bash and they're going to be pretty unlucky, whoever that is. Maybe you think that's you. And what Patrick Vage said there's always someone, even when you're giving them good good bets, that's losing. And he hated people losing money. He hated to hear it. He felt guilty about it. And he's much more comfortable when it's just him taking the risk. And he no longer does it. And I have to say, that was the feeling I had walking down the road. I mean it it kills me sometimes when Um I, I you know I get I do get emails from people saying I've been better on your golf tips and they just haven't been winning because they started at exactly the worst time. And I do get emails from people um, um, saying, I'd be better on the horses and the horses aren't winning. And, you know, it's independently proved and loads of people are winning, but somebody isn't. Or somebody did accuse us. They were questioning our honesty, which is quite a, an interesting line to go down. And I think they were suggesting that everybody on Discord was a stooge. Every single person talking on Discord worked for bookie bashing as far as they were aware i'll tell you what if we'd set that up we'd probably make more money out of logistics <laughs> in the real world than we would do from running bookie bashing um uh, so when i heard that everybody had lost money on salary i took it personally i, re- I took it personally Uh, I I shouldn't do. But the Patrick Veitch interview, he was saying something similar. So that was DDHH. And the coupons have been okay as well. We haven't been betting a load on them because um, my runners have been bloody in Ibiza and everywhere. You can't get the staff these days. But um, running at 41%, which is higher than our long-term... 20 odd percent ROI, 41 percent. Some decent, um, well, not decent winners. Actually, I lie. Um, There'd been no decent winners, but quite a lot of just ticking along. um, um, Double our money here, half our money again here. There was one quite extraordinary one, though. Which one was it? It was up here. We had a slip with, um, this was to score both halves, at William Hill, on the 7th of May, 2022. Now, I like this coupon. Well, I like this coupon because we model this ourselves, but I'm so happy with the accuracy of the numbers that come out of this. And there is no exchange market, or I think there is an exchange market, but it's always a liquid, especially in a game like Genoa versus Bologna. Not Genoa versus Bologna. Who was it? It was Bologna, but it wasn't on that date. It was um, Venezia versus Bologna um we it it really does stand up well to historical review um and closing lines the to score both halves which considering that the these are really the multiplication of two independent events so we do have to ask ourselves is the game suited to that kind of multiplication perhaps in a cup final no because the two halves, I mean, once we're at half time, it's really going to be a case of um, shut up shop, a lot of cup finals are. So you're, the XG of the team winning at half time might decrease in the second half from what it was predicted to be before the match. But um, regardless, we run this for every team up and down the European leagues. I can't tell you why. I cannot tell you why. But on this particular coupon, the two teams that were Hugh GV at William Hill on the 8th of May were Venezia at like 170% and Bologna at 180%. Bologna was like 9-2 to 2 in the fair... 5.5 and the fair odds would have been about 2.8. So the first thing that we say is, well, that's going to be cut. And then someone goes and places a tester and they're both held. Both of them are held. And the next thing we're thinking is, you never know with William Hill if this is pulp territory. But... Let's throw them in a few. So we threw them in with Leipzig, Aris, Thessalonica, Hoggesund, Nashville, Bologna and AC Milan. Now, we chose Bologna because they were 180%, but we could have easily have chosen Venezia, who were the higher odds at 6-1, who were 170%. Well, get this. half time, 2-1. Absolutely perfect. Full-time, 4-3. Both of them came in. Both of them scored in both halves. Unfortunately, of that, of that team of six teams that we had at William Hill, only f- three others scored in both halves. We had a massive 180 percent TV bet. you know that's the kind of bet that you put 100 pounds on and you pay for your bookie bashing subscription just on that one single. You know what I mean? Um, and it came in for both teams. Um, and it's just such a shame that on that particular day, there wasn't, um, there wasn't a lot of um, other teams that linked up with that, but still from a 280 quid bet, that was 1,600 pounds profit, that slip. And that was being unlucky. Um So we've got um, a coupon. Talking about the coupons, there's a bet builder coupon tool that we've released. It, it went through two stages of development and um we're pretty happy with it now. This was something that was asked for by some of the sort of higher staking syndicates who use the bet builder at bookie bashing, I know, to hit various corners and cards edges, but I don't know where, I suspect I do know where, but I don't want to say because I don't want everyone to go to this place and look at the exact same place. I mean, that's betraying them. Um, But even, I'm only guessing anyway, and even if I did know where, I honestly don't know what it is that they're betting on other than it's combinations of things from the bet builder. They did say, by the way, that corners markets at bet 365 on... Uh, completely restricted accounts still take £100 liability, um, which, albeit doesn't change the world, is at least something that you can do with a b- dead Bet365 account. Some people might have a few of those lying around. Anyway, they asked us to, you know, look, let's say, if I'm, say, betting on over 10.5 corners in the game, or maybe over 10.5 corners and over 2.5 cards, or maybe... Five corners, a half, or whatever, what, something like this, something in a time period. If I've got a note for one team, one match, then I bring it up in the bet builder. And if I've got a note for another match, I have to get that match from the bet builder and then iteratively go through like 100 matches during the week uh, or during the morning. And that just takes forever on a Saturday. And they say, can we not have some sort of coupon, like a shop coupon? where we say the markets that we want and we say the matches that we want and it will just monitor all of those live for us and we can download the data with a click in the button. So if you go to the bet builder coupon tool on Bookie Bashing right now, now you need to have your own edges here. There are no there's no EV. All we're doing is allowing you to build your markets, to build the markets, you need to use a preset, the presets in the bet builder. So if you've got no user presets, don't bother going to the Bet Builder coupon first. The first thing you got to do, there is some instructions by the way on the page for you to understand. Watch the video, but you need to go to the Bet Builder and set your pre-sale. That's your market. Go back to the Bet Builder coupon tool and um, put as many markets as you want into a coupon. You know, like match winner over, team to win and over 1.5, team to win and over 2.5 both teams win and both teams to score that's three different markets so you can have three ten different markets in a coupon in the bet builder coupon tool that's the first thing you do and the second thing you do is you assign your matches and you can assign entire leagues at once right and then save your coupon and then over the day the week that will track the odds of those games and if you want to extract them all with the click of a button just press copy that's been in development for a little bit of time it's just been released Probably need a little bit of work on the instruction side of things, but that's available for everyone that wants it. The other thing that's been in development is a handicaps tool. This is awesome, right? It's just been a little struggle to get over the line, but the the concept has worked right up until now. What we're doing here, we figured out, and I have to say it wasn't me that figured it out, someone very, very clever figured it out, that you can take pretty much any line of fair odds on a handicap. And then you can project forwards and backwards. He managed to get a regression fit of like 0.999. He, he nailed it. So as long as he's got one point of the um, of the handicap line, he can get them all. And this works in rugby union, rugby league, tennis, darts, snooker, you know, in in darts, Gary Anderson to win minus 3.5 legs. Maybe in NFL, we wanted to, I was having a look at this. I was having a look at the uh, Buffalo Bills to win minus 200.5 points um, which was somewhere in the region of 300,000 to one. You know, you can make any line that you want in anything. Um, and that's going to be a really, really super um, useful tool. The only issue that we have is that it works for NFL, which doesn't start until September preseason, and it works for darts, but it's just being a little bit panicky for things like rugby union, rugby league. It's not that the model doesn't work. It's the the, the the actual picking up the games is just proving to be difficult. We'll get that over the line, That'll be live pretty soon, and that's going to be an awesome new tool for people to play with at no extra cost at bookiebashing.net. This is not an advert. (laughs) of household bills for £2 a month. NatWest. We are what we do. Smiling. Uh, that was an advert for NatWest. We are what we do. That's what they say. So, are NatWest really what they do? Well, in all honesty, I can't answer that because it doesn't make any sense. But what the advert does portray is a beautiful, happy transition through life of multi-generational grandfather, son back in the 70s, grows up, a new son, a grandson, and they're all having a birthday cake. In all honesty, there's not a lot in that advert about finances and money and how NatWest and their mortgage system, saving accounts, current accounts, and the whole banking premise of here is a group of people, a small group of capitalist pig whores, who have been dropped into a position where they have a stakeholding or shareholding in the Royal Bank of Scotland. And their job is to make it as easy for people that do not have access to large sums of money to be able to borrow money. The business plan being that when they borrow £10, they will repay £11, £12, £13, £14. You see, the Royal Bank of Scotland have the money, and the common man does not have the money. And so, by lending the common man money and giving him access to money, the Royal Bank of Scotland creates More money. It creates wealth from wealth, whilst the majority of their customers are poorer for using them. That's not necessarily unique to the Royal Bank of Scotland. This is how the entire banking structure of the world, the entire credit system, the entire housing system is based on this principle that a small amount of money of people have access and ho- to hoards of money and will lend that out to those that do not have access to the money in order to create wealth for themselves. And as a byproduct of that, the average person actually gets a little bit poorer from their existence. That wouldn't make a great NatWest advert, I won't lie. Um, and that's probably why these stupid adverts are just of a dad fixing a bicycle tire, having a beautiful... Because you see what they're trying to portray instead of getting down to the crux of the the absurdities of the modern banking system. They're just saying, look, guys, we are a family bank. You have a family. Your family is beautiful. And we, at NatWest, we are a caring, family-supporting bank. Let's rewind the clock to 2015. I had quit my job in the city. I was doing relatively well through various modes of gambling. I was over in Prague playing the European Poker Tour. I played the main event of the European Poker Tour, which was a 5,500 euro buy in. Got my aces cracked by queens the bastard, and that guy who cracked them went on to Final Table the World Series of Poker a couple of years later, using my money, no doubt. Um, I, w- I won a satellite for a few thousand dollars. Um, I think I cashed in a couple of other smaller tournaments. And so I took over, I withdrew um, an amount of money. Back in these days, um, um, at, particularly just before I went over to Prague, um, I didn't have a lot of capital tied up in in actual cash in runners and shops and things like that. A lot of the times I do. At that particular time, I couldn't draw on any. And so I went to the NatWest and I withdrew, um, uh, I think I think about £10,000. And I went over, declaring the money as I travelled to Germany. I gambled with it in the casinos. I remember at the time having to tell NatWest what I was doing with the money when I withdrew it. I got a little bit antsy at the counter. Uh, Sort of saying, it's my money, why is it your business? Um, And some legal jargon which I wasn't sure was entirely accurate. And a form was put in front of me. And so I flippantly wrote on the form, I'm going off to play poker games in Munich. Uh, Sorry, in Prague, in um, the Czech Republic. So yeah, I played a few tournaments over there. Um, I pretty much broke even. Um and um, I came back to this country. I didn't deposit immediately i um I think I um issued some to some runners um and things like that, and maybe deposited half the amount, maybe about six and a half thousand pounds back into my bank of the initial ten thousand that um um that I'd taken out and I had to fill out a form again to explain where the money was from and I told them it was from um Winnings from cash games and from poker tournaments. And um, I was in a good mood that day, so I was helping them out. So I even linked um, the site where they could check where I finished in these poker tournaments and the amount of money that I would have been paid out from the casino. Now, running through that NatWest account, that was a bit of a cheeky um, account that I got. Back when I was a student, I remembered I wanted to really, 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 really go to this party in London, and I didn't have any money. And uh, instead of getting a job and earning it, I just opened an At West account with a £1,000 student overdraft. And I think I took out the better part of that £1,000 and spent it on a party in London that weekend. Now, I repaid the minimum every year for about 10 years. So I'd, God knows how much interest I paid on that um, until I reached a time when I I'd paid off all my student debt and started accumulating some wealth. I didn't really need the NatWest account, uh, so I did use it for um, uh, basically depositing money from poker tournaments, um, depositing money from shop runners, and also sort of transferring willy-nilly, as I did in that days, to friends of mine who I shared various gambling and entrepreneurial pursuits with. Genuinely close friends. uh, My sister um the people who were best men at my wedding these kind of people um uh, in about march 2016 which may have been a few months after i had um deposited the larger the sum into natwest um uh-huh. I think I tried to use the card and it was blocked. Now, the card being denied in a gambling transaction is nothing unfamiliar and nothing surprising. And um, I think I tried to phone up to get my card blocked, but nobody would speak to me on the phone. And um, so I think a couple of days later, I actually went to a physical cash machine and I was passing it and I had the card on me. So I might just try and get a couple of hundred quid out. And I couldn't get a couple of hundred quid out. I'd been told nothing. But the cash machine was rejecting my withdrawal. There was, there was the better part of £15,000 in this bank account. Um, the cash machine was rejecting it, and I couldn't spend it online. I'd received no letter. And so I found when, at some, uh, a moment when I had some time, and I actually visited the shop when it was open. I stood in the queue, and then I went to the front, and I just said, um, I think I wanted to say, is there something wrong with my account? But instead, I just felt like, can I withdraw £1,000 from the account because I think that something's wrong? And I asked the lady, and I had my passport on me and my driving licence, and I said, "Um, I just want to withdraw £1,000 from my account. And she typed into the computer, and then she stared at the computer, and then she looked at me, and then she stared at the computer, and then she looked at me, and without saying anything, she got up and she walked away. And ten minutes passed. And then a different person came down to the till, and they informed me that my bank account had been frozen and was under investigation from the NatWest fraud team. So I was actually in the bank with my uh, very infant daughter at the time. Sasha was born in 2015 in in October, and this was early 2016. She was six months old at the time. Now, I do have other bank accounts, other bank accounts that I process my mortgage through and the family bills and stuff like that. But that is by the by. You see, as a professional gambler, my main income came from um, uh, positive equity bets, positive equity decisions on the poker table. And for all NatWest knew, the £15,000 that was in my bank account was all the £15,000 I had in the entire world. Now, of course, I'm leading what many would describe as an alternative lifestyle because the income generation is not going through a PAYE scheme, um, is not um, being declared tax-wise, and the, uh, the, the expenditure and the income on the forms that are being filled in at NatWest are alternative and obscure. I might add that if you have access to hordes of money and hordes of wealth and you choose to live your life generating further wealth by lending this money out to a wider population that does not have access to this money, that that is no less alternative and obscure than placing positive equity bets. I may arrogantly say that the Advantage player lifestyle might just involve a little bit more skill. It's not like somebody is fortunate enough to be born into an advantage player mindset. Whereas you can just be born into financial wealth. So I remember that dealing in the shop because of the suspicion that was drawn on me. And I was annoyed because, of course I'm annoyed, I have nothing to hide. I'm not a criminal. I've done nothing wrong. Um, The money was won legitimately, withdrawn and spent legitimately, and it was my money anyway. I should have been able to spend it however I wanted without informing them. Uh, I understand that there are, um, the bank is acting on interest from guidelines, from fraud protection from above, but it should have been relatively straightforward to have checked the links to see that I did spend... The money that I had withdrawn and I had gained the money that I deposited f- um, in the time period that um, at the poker tournament, which was online and did state. I mean, that shouldn't have had to, have to exist anyway. The fact that it did should have been a bonus. But the woman was looking at me suspiciously. And I, I remember saying to her, and this was a bit flippant because I had access to other money in another bank account. And I said, um, I have to feed my daughter tonight. Now imagine, you know, imagine... A young mother pushing a pram along, doesn't have much money in the world, has to feed herself and her daughter, goes to the bank, withdraws an amount of money to buy baby food and milk. And the bank holds on to that money and she goes in to ask what's going on and she says her bank account's been frozen. Now, your bank account can be frozen for two reasons. One, of course, there are fraud protection. And you could maybe charitably say that in order to prevent fraud, alternative lifestyles such as advantage players need to be investigated. Um, And it's a byproduct of this lifestyle that we have. We're not doing anything wrong. But in order to catch the people that are doing something wrong, we have to be slightly misappropriated. But that wasn't doing me any favor with my little daughter next to me, and I'm standing there asking the woman, "Who is going to feed my daughter tonight?" Again, a little bit flippant, and and I wouldn't leave, and I don't know why I didn't leave because I also know that the woman stand, the bank manager in front of me is not in charge, is not in charge, is not in control of um, the decision making. So I, I should have figured that out, but I was annoyed, I was angry that I couldn't access my own money. I went home and I phoned the bank, and they wouldn't talk to me. And two weeks later, I get um, a, a letter through the post. And the letter finally confirms that my bank account has been suspended for fraudulent reasons. They will be in contact with me at some point. Before they were in contact with me, they telephoned other people that I knew that I had that had NatWest accounts that I had transferred money to because we were sharing the profit and loss from gambling and entrepreneurial instincts. So my friend Dan would go to a shop, he'd place 100 pounds each way on a horse, 50 of that would be mine, 50 each way would be mine, 50 of each way would be his. If it loses, I owe him 50 pound each way, if it wins, he owes me a, a, a half of the profits, it's as simple as that. I know Dan, I've known Dan since um, uh, we were, I was best, well, he was an usher at my wedding. The same, I've known my sister for a very, uh, fairly long period of time. I've even known my mum. Um, for quite a long time about 44 years um, so they phoned people that I had in that West Canada and they, they essentially asked do they know me how do they know me and what are the transfers between us and everyone said the same story I, yes I know him uh, I've known him for a long time we share a gambling interest with each other and they finally they get around to phone me they phone me last um, and they say H- what are all these bits of money and I said well I've already told you what the bits of money are I go and play poker I I deposited my... I withdrew my money. Uh, I made some money, a little bit less than I withdrew, and I deposited it. Uh, and then with the transfers to my friends. Um, these are people that I've known, you know, I can send you pictures of my wedding if you want. The guy actually even asked me, genuinely, he asked me, what's your relationship with Linda Brownlee? You know? And I I, I was gobsmacked. And I was just like, she's my mother. Do you know what I mean? I mean, uh, well, she's got the same surname as me. It's not that common. And... um. We, we we shared a gambling interest. My mum's not a big gambler, but you know what? She had um, the ability to get on bets, and so I would tell her what to do, and she would have a percentage of the winning, and I would have a percentage of the winning. It, it was win-win for both of us. No, nothing wrong or fraudulent about this, but they were more interested in the hard cash transaction, transactions. And the fact that there was proof about where they came from in these online, um, mm-hmm. these online databases of um, cashing in tournaments, and they didn't accept it. Look... Nat West, they'll be there. When you've got a young family and your son's just broken his bicycle wheel, they'll be there. They'll be there because Nat West, they are what they do. And they only are what they do if what they do is be a right bunch of utter bastards. They are a, ro- a small group of extremely greedy individuals with very little compassion to anyone other than their own wealth generation. What is the net result of my experiences with NatWest? I am banned from the entire Royal Bank of Scotland banking group. I am banned from them, and I have done nothing wrong. I cannot open an account there. I cannot... um, um, uh, have a mortgage there. In fact, in the letter that closed my account, they, I did get my money back, instantly. They would have been sued to the high heavens if I hadn't, but they did hold on to it for a period of about six months. 15 grand! Didn't get any interest. Didn't get any... You know, do you know what I mean? They gave me 15... I got a letter through saying that they will send the uh, balance to another bank account. Uh, they said, if I did have a mortgage with my, uh, the Royal Bank of Scotland Group, I had to repay it immediately. That's a kind family-friendly bank, bearing in mind, after the fraud investigation, they had found that I had done nothing wrong, because I'd been charged with nothing, so um, after this long investigation, their decision was, they want nothing to do with me, okay, they're a private company, they are what they do, so um, they banned me for life, they closed the accounts of all of my friends that uh, we've been transferring money between each other. Again, we weren't doing anything wrong. And um, had that been the only money I had in the entire world to feed my daughter, my daughter would now be dead. Nat West. They are what they do. killers of Little Babies.